Welcome to this episode of our Diversity Podcast. It is my absolute pleasure to talk with two colleagues from the University of Leeds today, Claire Coleman and James McHale. Welcome and thank you for your time. Today's conversation is in recognition and celebration of UK's Disability History Month. The aim of the Disability History Month is, in short, to celebrate the lives of disabled people now and in the past. It's also about challenging disablism and work towards further and more equality. I very much look forward to speaking to both of my colleagues, Claire and James, but maybe we can start by each of you introducing yourselves briefly and telling us a little bit about why Disability History Month may resonate with you. So Claire, can I start with you? Yes, of course. Thanks very much, Edgar, for that warm welcome. I'm Claire. I'm a manager in the Digital Education Service at the University of Leeds, and I've been at Leeds since 2015, originally uh, joining the university to do a PhD. Um, My pronouns are she and her, and I think one of the reasons Disability Month resonates so much with me is because I've become disabled in the legal sense of that, that word, but also in the the personal identity sense of that word uh, quite recently. Um, I would actually say probably over the course of the last two or three years. Thank you, Claire. That is really interesting. And I'm sure something that we'll explore further as we go through, because I think many will probably have a different understanding of disability. So thanks for that. James, can I ask you? Yes, hi, and 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 uh, again, well, uh, thank you very much for the for the warm welcome. Uh, I'm re- really been looking forward to this. So I'm James. I'm a part-time MA student in medieval studies, uh, and I'm the co-chair of the Disability Services Student Panel. Pronouns are he, him, or they, them. And what's really exciting to me is in particular what Disability History Month represents to me. And I think what what's really important about it, and this is the purpose of this podcast, for instance, is um, the way in which Disability History Month very much puts the spotlight for disabled people themselves to talk about uh, disability and issues themselves, rather than having other people who are not disabled talk about it. It's, it's, it very much front and centres the experiences of disabled people themselves. And, and that's why, to me, it's so important. Thank you, James. Can I ask you both to talk a little bit about the notion of a hidden disability? Because I think, and Claire, you talked about becoming disabled, and I know both from you and from James that you have what uh, is called a hidden disability. And it's probably not something that many people know. So it would be great to hear a bit about your experience of someone with a hidden disability and how you experience this, particularly at work. Um, Maybe I start with James as an MA student and then come to Claire. Yeah, so um, it's it's interesting because we talk a lot about awareness raising about disability and, and so on, but it's very much focused on the physical of what people perceive to be a disability. And uh, again, I think this a little bit about what Disability Month is, is seeking to do. I think it, it, it gets away off the actual experience of the disabled person. Now, ha- being, being a student with a hidden disability, um, to, to people just walking on the street, they don't perceive that I have a disability but in in reality I I do and and the, and and I think one of the differences in in the way that that affects me in terms of uh, my being a student is in the support that is offered to me on a on a on a day-to-day basis um for, for, for instance 
lecturers themselves they, they, they're not very much aware of that it, it, they've, they've, they've got to I think there has been more of an effort from from tutors because uh, they're just they're not that that aware and and that that is something uh, that that needs that needs work on that is thank you for that um can I ask what your disability is uh, I'm, I'm autistic and I've, and I've got ADHD and so if I, if I just make another point, uh, the way that, that the ways in which that affects me uh, in terms of um, the way I study, the, the support that I need in place, um, I, I, I do find, and I think this is particularly more relevant to students with hidden disabilities, where the lecturer is not that aware, I do find that there is a, a certain disconnect between the support that is offered from disability services and the actual support that is put in place uh, from from the lecturer on, on, a, on a day-to-day basis and so that's why things like disability history from this podcast and so on in terms of the the, the point that that makes in, in terms of raising awareness about hidden disabilities and the support that students of, of all various disabilities need I think that's uh, incredibly important. Thank you James I think that really interesting as a as a lecturer as well I reflect on how that has affected me. Claire, you said you came as a PhD student, so you will have seen some uh, some transition as well. But maybe if we start talking about how your disability and you becoming disabled and on top of that with a hidden, hidden disability, how that impacts you and your experience as someone with that. And then maybe also transitioning to how there was potentially a difference between you as a student and you as an employee. Yeah, sure. Um, So I think the key issue for me in the workplace was that that initial choice, do I tell anybody? Is this something that um, is a major part of my life that I choose to keep hidden um, from both colleagues and from managers? Um, And that's a really huge decision. Obviously, I was quite concerned about my career prospects. I was concerned about um, getting a a more ongoing contract. I'd only been working on part-time or short-term contracts at the university up until then. So making the decision to disclose was like, was the biggest thing, I think, in terms of my my work life. And, And that was also the biggest challenge transitioning from being a disabled student with the support that I received as a student I suddenly then found that the workplace was quite different in that I would have to disclose or I wouldn't get support and disclosing in itself raised new questions about how comfortable I was with um accepting my identity I suppose um, as somebody with a disability in that particular workplace so I think I found the transition quite difficult because there's so there was so much support for me as a student and yet once I was into the workplace uh, the situation was was very different. Thank you Claire I think there's some really interesting for me a really interesting aspect here is that notion of uh, disclosing and declaring a disability and um, the the need to do that, of course, with, with a hidden disability or the sense that one has to do it. James? 
Yes, I was just going to say um, I, I agree because this is what some of the, one of the points that uh, I've, I've often talked about with um, other students on this disability panel that I co-chair about the need to to actually uh, declare it if that that should happen or, or not. And one of the things that's always been emphasised by myself and others is that there's no legal requirement that a disabled person declares their disability for say work and and some disabled people choose not to and some choose to i think that's very much down to the individual um as, as to whether whether to do so and i think again it's about giving the agency to the disabled person themselves uh as well as to whether they decide to do that now me personally as a student i felt very comfortable and open and willing to declare my disability and, and talk about it and and it's why i do this podcast today it's about raising awareness and so on and i'm talking about the support but as to to work in the future as to whether i'm going to be as willing to then declare it because of the changes in say terms of um, how work approaches disability in comparison with how it's dealt with in higher education i've i've not settled on i'm not entirely sure yet but um but i've always been clear and as other disabled people on this panel that i that i coach are is that declaring it is i think very much up to the individual and, and that has to be emphasized what i find interesting in that conversation is actually that we have to con contemplate such decisions so not many people will have to on a daily basis think about um whether they declare. And it's very important to, to recognize the, the potential pressure that this places on individuals to do so. So I think it's a really important aspect. And Claire, in your particular perspective, this idea of bringing a whole identity to work and what that does if you can't. So thank you. I think it's a really challenging aspect. And thank you for your openness and, and discussing as well the challenge that it brings. And James, I hope you will always feel comfortable and have the agency to be who you are uh, and as open as you are, but the fears that come with it. Can I ask sort of maybe as an extension on how this pandemic that we currently live through has affected your life as part of that? The pandemic, I think, has resulted in me feeling, I would say, actually discriminated against in my life and in the workplace for the first time. Um, I'm 51, so I've had a long career already. And most of that was without the current health condition that I that I now um, work with. Um, the pandemic has been very challenging for me because I'm clinically extremely vulnerable to COVID. Um, due to medication that I'm taking, but also due to several other interacting health conditions as well. And the pandemic has limited my life in so many ways, um, not least, of course, not being allowed outside of my home for four months, not even for an hour's exercise like everyone else. And I don't have a garden. I live in a Leeds back-to-back. -back. Um, so on a practical side obviously it affects everyone's lives differently but for me personally it also resulted in me having to give up student teaching which was something I loved and move across to doing a different role at the university completely um, so huge changes um, however on the positive side I would say home working has been so beneficial for me and 
has resulted in me being able to completely control my pain levels. So over the last two years, I have gone from using quite hefty pain medication to actually weaning myself off my last lot of pain meds um, in the last couple of weeks. So a hugely positive impact of being able to homework and do physio physiotherapy exercises at home, being able to move around, being just just having the control over my workspace in a way that I just cannot have in a very busy office. James, what about you? Well, if I could just comment a little bit on what Claire said, because I think that's that's quite interesting in terms of the, the positive um i think if if anything that this pandemic has, has, has brought about that's that could possibly be seen as a positive in future i do certainly think it's that aspect of flexibility uh for disabled people and, and i think perhaps that could help close the disability employment gap in future where and, and make work more accessible in a way where you've got this more flexibility at home with, with at home working uh, but in addition, I also want to just talk about a bit how it has affected me. And uh, I, it's interesting we asked this, how the pandemic very specifically has affected my life with a disability, because I, I no longer feel that I can separate the question of the pandemic entirely from talking about my experiences with a disability and higher education here at Leeds, because I, I'm 22 and I've only ever been at Leeds during the pandemic, which which feels like it's gone on for so long now. And so the pandemic has affected my life in massive ways and it's affected my being a student here at Leeds in in every way from the very beginning and of course there are common themes that and experiences that I, I share with everyone particularly the loneliness for instance I, I felt quite quite lonely during lockdown I have to say um, but, but but specifically on, on, on my disability for example uh, I, I've got ADHD and, and autism and issues that I struggle with massively uh ensuring I've got um an, a, some semblance of an established structure and, and routine and uh that and, and what helped before although it wasn't certainly wasn't perfect because these are issues with which I struggle uh what what certainly assisted was having structured things in my day-to-day -day life where I needed to get to uni for a certain time and so on and so forth around which I could try and establish a certain routine and structure about things I do uh, because of the at-home work work order and, and more recently that that's been reintroduced and these perpetual lockdowns uh, that's been one of the biggest challenges as well as the loneliness uh, as it's been one of the biggest challenges as a result of my disability <coughs> that I have had to to, to, to contend with and and, and so it's it's often meant where I've had to focus entirely doing on one thing a day and then moving on to the next another day, and I've had to try and account as best I can for how my disability is and and the pandemic is negatively affecting me. Thank you. I think for me, this is interesting. Both of you say, of course, that it has affected all of us in different ways, but I think it's that that ability to see how it affects us differently. I think is very important because I think many make an assumption that it affects us all in similar ways, so we're all affected, but. It, that it affects us differently. Yes, James, please. Yeah, yes, I, I completely agree, actually. And I think what, what's really good about this conversation that we're having now is is we're talking about hidden disabilities that both I and, and, and Claire have, but the ways in which that's affecting us in, in terms of the pandemic is 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 quite is in quite different ways. And it's important, I think, to, to have that conversation. Yeah, no, I believe. Yeah. Sorry, Claire, please. No, I just wanted to um, agree um with James there and, and say, yes, it's brought it out. We've had almost opposite experiences of home working, it sounds. Um, 
And I think we just need to be really mindful of those those differences. There's a generational difference possibly involved as well. Most of my friends of my age and older are very concerned still and are still very cautious, even if they are otherwise healthy. Um, Whereas my nieces and nephews who are in their 20s are already out and about and pretty much returning, um, or at least over the summer this year, pretty much returned to pre-pandemic lifestyle. I'm still effectively having to shield. I don't want to, but but I have to. I have no choice. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's that that understanding of how individual experiences differ. I'd like to come back to the support, if that is okay, because I hope, James, you can feed into what you what you were probably about to say, but I think it was really interesting for you to say that you think overall the support that you were offered as a student was good, James, and I think you echoed that as well, Claire. But both of you had experiences, Claire, you transitioning into the workspace where it was diff- different, and uh, James, I think you talked about the actual individual exp- or the, the experience with individuals. So, for example, individual tutors or lecturers may not be particularly well there. Can you maybe on the one hand emphasize what support works really well, but also where where you think this is the one thing that I think or two things that I think support and policy around support for disability needs? Um, and maybe I start with Claire and then I'll come to you, James. Yes, thank you. So I guess in the workplace, there's um, a lot that you can do that's very simple and positive towards supporting people with types of disabilities that cover that covers pretty much everything. And, and the first thing there is to create a culture of openness so that people feel that they can disclose and they can initiate a conversation with either a colleague or a line manager. That is, it sounds easy, but it's actually really difficult if the people you're working with don't ever engage with you about your needs in the workplace. So I guess a positive thing that anyone can do is just check with somebody, have you got everything that you need to do your job? Well, one person might interpret that to be a question about what sort of adjustments what sort of equipment might they need so that's all that people need to do they just need to invite um by invite a conversation by asking a question have you got everything that 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 you need thank you that's really helpful james i I completely agree and it is about um uh, elevating and establishing that that culture of, of openness about disability and 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 discourse about it uh it is i think it is fundamentally about um, having that sense of understanding from different colleagues, and, and in my instance, in my case, it's about having that understanding from from lecturers and, and, and so on. Uh, because while it's all well and good having uh, these cases of uh, raising awareness and and talking about it and having the, the, the positive written policies there, but what matters fundamentally is is what is actually happening. And uh, if you don't have that. A sense of understanding from a lecturer, for instance, then the support will not be be forthcoming. So you've, I think what's important is is ensuring that that's in place, that that's there. And and I and I have had sorry, I was going to finish. I, I have had um, mixed experiences on that front. I've had lecturers who are very understanding, and it's like 
yes, this support is here, there for you. And, and other lecturers are more, while if not certain, I wouldn't say they've stood in the way of support, they've, um, in effect, they're having a way by simply not being understanding and, and questioning things more. I think I think there's always a need for more awareness raising about these issues. And I think I think as part of what academic staff are involved with, they obviously have inclusive teaching as a key part of what their job role entails. That is more visible, perhaps, than it is for a line manager, say, for whom inclusive workplace practices are not so readily visible. Um, they certainly don't have any mandatory training at Leeds in inclusive workplace practices, but there is training available. It's the kind of thing that people might get interested in through personal experiences in the workplace um, or members of their own family, perhaps developing a health condition or, or a disability. Um, so the opportunities for finding out more are definitely there around Leeds. Um, I think I do think that in some ways the workplace culture is already changing. And I think the pandemic has been a positive uh, influence. Certainly we've mentioned already about flexible working and there's certainly more being looked into around that that will help raise the profile of the different needs of disabled staff and students together um, among the university's wider communities. So I think that kind of awareness raising is an ongoing thing that the pandemic has perhaps hopefully helped um, develop a bit. I don't know if you'd agree with that, James. I, I would, yes. I think I think it's a very perceptive point you made there, Claire, uh, as regards the, the fact that support and, and, and understanding and so on can come about from a place of, of personal experience. Um, if I may pick this up, um, and I think the point is really important around personal experience, awareness and an open environment, because not everyone will have had a personal experience, and that is partly a good thing as well. But it's about, for me podcast like this it's about hearing lived experiences mm. to understand and to raise that awareness is that just because you haven't had it as an individual that experience directly mm. or by someone else it is still an experience that people have and that we as individuals can shape so I think it's an important point to keep in mind and certainly something that I jotted down as a note James, please. Yes, I, I agree, Edgar. And the other point that, that Claire was talking about in terms of flexible working and, and the positive aspects about that, I agree that, that the pandemic, in a way, has, has introduced that in, in, in a, that's come about in, in a positive way. Uh, how, however, what I, I would say is that um, it's not always come about for the, for the best of, of reasons. For instance, many of the, uh, and it's important, I think, as me, for me as a disabled student to, to make this, I think... Um, for, for example, many of the um, changes as a result of the pandemic in terms in terms of higher education teaching, in terms of uh, resources that are now provided in more inclusive formats and recorded lectures and so on, those have come about as a result of the pandemic and, it, and it's certainly benefited disabled students. However, when disabled students were asking for these things before the pandemic, it, they work forthcoming. They often said that these can't be done or it's too much work and so on. But when it's needed for everybody, then it's come about. And in so doing, it has benefited disabled people. But I think there's a point to be made about 
that these some of these things should have been done before the pandemic. I'd agree with that, James. That also is echoed in the workplace. So I asked for home working, um, what, nearly four years ago now, and was told that there is a culture of face-to-face meetings at the university. Therefore, it was not appropriate for me to take part in meetings using Skype. Um, So from that position to where I am today, which is working successfully full-time at home, um, you know, I feel like I've come I've come a long way. Um, but I hear what you're saying, James, that we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that there are still going to be other adjustments, other um, issues that disabled people are bringing to the fore and have been doing so for many years, um, which are still remaining unaddressed going forward. I, th- I think there's there's definitely positives from the pandemic, but as you've highlighted, there's also challenges as well. I think for me, one of the things I'm hearing is that there's something about not trying to make it the same for everyone, which policy often tries to make, but rather begin to think about how the individual experiences can be reflected in the way we are flexible, for example, about home working, for example, in a in the way in which we provide adjustments. James? I, I agree, Edgar. And actually, I think, to be optimistic, I think one of the um, things about which I am quite optimistic in the future is that once this pandemic is over, we're not going to go back to a, a position where um, work, work, where's work life was was what it was before the pandemic. I think many of the things that have been introduced in terms of flexible working, working from home, and, 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 and all those aspects that, have made working more inclusive for disabled people I think are going to be maintained and are going to be kept so I do think that you know once this pandemic is over however long that takes whether from around 2025 onwards from then I do believe that the economy and uh, work for disabled people will be more inclusive and accessible to disabled people so I think that's a point about which we, we should be optimistic and positive about I feel. Great. Thank you very much. I think one of the interesting bits is I was going to ask something about reasonable adjustments in the workplace or uh, for, for James in terms of studying. But I think we actually talked quite a lot about what, what adjustment might mean. And indeed, Claire, you used the word adjustment. But I believe that if the more legalistic language is about reasonable adjustment that we can expect from an employer or the support that students can expect. Is there anything either of you wanted to share around that notion of reasonable adjustment and what works particularly well or what doesn't, considering we've talked about the idea of working from home, adapting more of that flexibility based on individual circumstances, but maybe we haven't covered everything around reasonable adjustments. Claire? In the workplace, I think what works well only works well if you have a good relationship with your line manager. So for reasonable adjustments as a, as a concept, as a way of supporting disabled people in the workplace, for that to operate effectively, you need a really, um, a really supportive line manager. And that's where the awareness raising comes in and where training needs to be more than just an optional extra that a line manager might undergo. Um, Where it can work well, it's fantastic. However, also those line managers have a lot of power 
over the people they are managing and to be on the receiving end of decisions that are made about, for example, in the pandemic context, text, whether you are going to be required to go onto campus or not to attend a team workshop, for example, those sorts of decisions are made over your head and the word reasonable adjustment is never mentioned um, and it needs to be. Um, so I think I, th- I think a key thing is strengthening our line managers, enabling our line managers to be really great line managers. They will support disabled staff but they will also support everyone too of course in in a better way yeah i think that idea of inclusive leadership and what that means and being being a manager and a leader who who supports their colleagues as is um, and i think as you say we're coming back to this notion of training and awareness raising and support mechanism james is there anything you wanted to add yeah, I was going to say that uh, I was going to echo a bit what Claire was saying in terms of in terms of reasonable adjustments for the spot that's in place to be effective. You've got to have very supportive, in, in mind in my case, tutors and, and admin and, and, and admin uh, staff, uh, and and obviously that works less well when you've got less supportive or less understanding uh, 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 tutors. So I, cha- I, I also think that that speaks to a, a challenge that disabled students face themselves because. It raises the question of what actually reasonable adjustments is, and it's it's, it's often very legalistic. Uh, it's not very the whole notion of it uh, that's presented is not very accessible to to disabled students, and there's therefore that need for disabled students to be aware of that themselves as as individuals and 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 what's uh, what's what's there for them and so on, and and, and what they need to, to what support they've got to ask, and so I think that also speaks to a, an additional layer of. Of, uh, of this kind of complex burdensome um, uh, aspect that disabled students have to be aware of as they navigate higher education and that's that manifests itself in in in, in constant emails um, trying to arrange support it manifests itself in terms of additional admin documents I, I think one one point we don't talk about enough in terms of um, in terms of support for disabled people yes, Often it is there and it's provided and so on, but but we, but we don't talk about enough about um, how tiring and and the additional effort that disabled students have to go to ensure that they get those reasonable adjustments. That's an excellent point. It's not. It's the same for disabled staff. The admin load, the extra um, work they have to do within their role. They don't get extra time for any of that alongside their actual job. So there's a time burden and a cognitive load. There's also a cost. I'm sure I know there's lots of research that shows that having a disability means that uh, your disability costs um, a lot, um, particularly a health condition, which I which I do know about um, the actual cost in terms of transport, paying for medication, paying for um, all of the um, aspects of your life that you have to pay for because you have a disability. So there's a huge, a huge burden that disabled people bear in both time and cost and energy. I think it's really great that you raised this because I've recently spoke to a student voice commissioner who uh, sits in a wheelchair and I think that came out as well is that we go about our daily life and don't necessarily recognize how long it may take someone else 
with a disability to plan for the same journey, for the same activity, for the same thing, because there will be barriers that are not necessarily seen by others. So thank you both for raising that. James? I, I agree that that's what it essentially it is. It, it's additional barriers. Uh, but those barriers that, in, in, in my instance, disabled students face, or the, 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 the additional costs, the additional time, additional money and effort that goes into... Uh, to, as you say, doing those same activities that other students do off, off the actual assignments and research and so on, but also the support that's in place for getting it in place and so on, it negatively affects students. And, and it's part of the factor that goes into the the likelihood of, of why disabled students sometimes uh, don't, don't, dis, dis, why students sometimes discontinue the courses and drop out. So it, it's something that <clears throat> that needs to be have more attention on and I think this is something that universities are starting to do in terms of yes establishing good support there for students but also accounting for uh, and and ensuring that uh, there's few barriers as possible for students to be able to access that support and get it put in place in an effective and and timely manner that benefits individual students and and it's not and, and it and it lowers the burdens for them yeah absolutely thank you both I'd like us to sort of maybe look more around your contribution to some of the advocacy that is happening and really what you're proud of in terms of your work, for example, Claire, for you as the co-convener of the Chronic Pain and Fatigue Staff Network, or you, James, as someone serving on the Disability Student Panel, um, and I believe you're also a young ambassador for the National Autistic Society. So maybe, James, if you could pick up one or two things of the things that you're proud of in terms of your work as an advocate with, within that area? Well, it, now, now I mentioned about the, the fact I'm a young ambassador for National Autistic Society. It's, it's, it's true. And, and one of the things that um, I'm certainly passionate about is a concern that I have is the uh, employment gap for autistic people. And so as an individual myself, I have very much focused on trying to ensure that um, I, I am going to have opportunities in life in, in, in employment and I've worked very hard on that and I've also tried to pursue that in terms of the advocacy work that that I do more generally so um, what, what I'm particularly proud of is I, I know firsthand that from discussions with others and so on is that not every disabled person or student is able to go out there and be open about who they are and the needs and, and to talk about that and, and, and the problems that persist and need addressing in, in, in higher education for example but nor should there be this um, responsibility that's incumbent upon them for them to do so. They shouldn't have to to do that. Uh, but but I I am willing to to go out and and do that. And uh, I've not really cared too much about what people think of me in, in response to, to to what I'm doing. Uh, and so what I'm most proud of then is is helping to enable the disability student panel that I co-chair to try and push it forward more as a, to be a, a form of empowerment and sharing off experiences and so it's about others and th that empowerment of others I, I feel is, is important to me because it's it's through that empowerment of individual experiences that we can get to a point where we ensure uh, things are more inclusive for disabled students at Leeds. Thank you James and it is inspiring um, to say the least. Claire? I'm proud of everyone on the staff network that I co-founded a couple of years ago. Um, 
it was a decision to put something in place because staff did not have any disability uh, network at all at that time. We do now have a new staff and PGR disability network to support people across the university. So that's fantastic. Um, I, I, I think that that staff network was really pivotal for me personally in supporting me in taking on an extremely challenging role. I would not be able to do my job today if I hadn't have enjoyed uh, the support of everyone on that staff network. I'm doing a challenging job that I don't think many people would have been considered for perhaps historically in my uh with my conditions and my um my my experience is good but my um my health condition means that I cannot um I cannot do a lot of things to the sorts of deadlines that people are used to working to especially in the culture of the um, service that I'm working in at the moment at the university. It's very fast paced, but with support from the staff network and with support from good line managers, I've been able to succeed in that role. Thank you. And I think it highlights so much the importance of networks and um, allies and supportive colleagues. Um, but also a space where we can talk about openly of what the challenges are uh, with people who understand what these challenges are. Thank you both. And I think it's inspiring to hear that this goes on. And I hope we can do a little to highlight and showcase some of that work. We talked about a number of different things, and I don't want to take that much more of your time. But I wonder whether we could leave our listeners with the one piece of advice or insight or guidance or general message about disability that you would want someone to take away, particularly since we talked quite a bit about sort of awareness raising and um, being being open about these experiences. So, James, can I start with you? Yes. Um, I've never allowed my disability to limit me or, or, or really start to try and push back against that. I, I've got ADHD so I, I'm a bit of a thrill seeker and, and I see life as a as a fun and exciting adventure and so but I know obviously I, I do have challenges that I, I must contend with as, as a result and as a result of my being autistic and so I get a lot of support at home from my mom and I also get a lot of support from UNE through the disability services uh, and I've always tried to uh, push back against the limitations that people have thought about me or, or sought to place on me to stop me achieving. And so in response, I, I work very hard. I try my best to account for the problems that I face. And I also cut myself some slack when I falter a bit on, on, on those. And so I seek to try and really play to my strengths, I would say, and uh, and, and in order to try and achieve. And, and I give everything my 100%, even when the odds are a bit off. And uh, at the same time, I, I still have a bit of imposter syndrome in me. And I think... And I think disabled students in particular can face that sense of imposter syndrome when, when, when they seem when it seems that they shouldn't be there, but really they should. And uh, I try to make an arm pushed back against that. And so a quote that's always stood out to me is is something that Carrie Fisher once said, and that's "Stay afraid, but do it anyway." What's important is the action. You don't have to wait to be confident. Just just do it, and eventually the confidence will, will follow. And that's something that I very much try to live up to. Thank you, James. Claire. 
I've got a couple of thoughts for some line managers coming from the position of a member of staff, but also as a new line manager myself. So in the workplace, we need to really trust staff and enable staff to be open and, if appropriate, talk to us about a disability. We also need to be available for those conversations and we also need to be vulnerable as managers. We need to accept that sometimes we might get it wrong. Sometimes it might feel a bit awkward. Sometimes we don't know what the right or appropriate words are to discuss a topic that we might regard as a bit alien or a bit unfamiliar. And I know disability is both of those things for many people at the University of Leeds. Um, But I think as line managers, we have a great opportunity there through our own availability and vulnerability to encourage those on our teams to not only um, have conversations with us, give us feedback on how their work experiences are going, but also to enable those people to flourish as part of a diverse team. Thank you, Claire. Thank you both. This has been really insightful for me. It's been really interesting to hear your experiences. Thank you very much to both of you um, for the time, for the openness and for the encouragement and positivity that comes with all of the experiences that you had and really the idea that we can make a difference to individuals' lives at work and in our community around that. So thank you very much again, Claire. Thank you very much again, James. And it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure.